I want to welcome those of you that are watching online. Summer is in full swing, all right? I'm excited about summer. I don't know about you, but uh, it has been so nice to see some things getting back to some kind of normal here in, in our area and in our region. And yesterday, I, I saw all kinds of people out and about, all kinds of people out at yard sales, at baseball and soccer games, and it was just refreshing. It was good to see that. It was a lot of fun. We had a men's camp out up in Beaver Meadows, and a bunch of fellows were able to hang out, spend some time together. And uh, you've even noticed that the traffic is picking up, right? Oh my gosh, traffic is everywhere, construction is everywhere. It's kind of starting to feel normal again. So it's great to see you here at church. It's great to have you. And it's my prayer that you will experience the love of Jesus and that you will hear from Jesus this morning. That's, that's really my hope. That's my prayer. And uh, let's get into the sermon this morning. Throughout this series, we've, we've called it Equipped. And we're, we're trying to talk about what does it look like to equip people for the work of ministry. And throughout this series, we've talked about every partner a guide. Uh, we answered the questions, what are you equipped for? And we also asked the question, like, how does equipping work? How is this supposed to happen in, in the context of a church? And we came up with these questions from the writings of Paul. The Apostle Paul was writing to a group of people that were following the ways of Jesus in the city of Ephesus. And he said this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He said, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. Other translations say to do the work of ministry. So throughout this series, we've talked about the role description or the job description of the leaders of the church, you could say, is to equip, to prepare you, the saints of God, the people of God, to do the work of God. And today what we're going to do is we're going to ask the question, what is the work of ministry? So if it's my job to prepare you, if it's the job of the leaders to prepare you to do the work of ministry, to do the work of God, what is the work of God? What is the work of ministry? So once again, we've talked about the job description of the elders and the pastors and the leaders of the church, and now it's time to look at what God expects from you, the people, the people of God. And those of you who would say that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the reality is that you are supposed to do God's work. You are called to do God's work. I love when Colson was standing up here and he says, I'm, I'm feeling called to do God's work in another country. And he's going to be immersing himself to see if, if that calling is going to be verified, right? But the reality is, is each and every one of us have been called. All of us have been called. Those of us who follow Jesus were called to do the work of ministry. So what is the work of ministry? And I hope to clarify that for us this morning. And for us to answer this question properly, we, we have to do some work. I'm going to have to lay kind of a foundation for us, and, and it's going to take a little bit of time to do that. And so um, I'm, I'm going to ask that you travel with me this morning, all right? Um, and just really travel with me because it's going to be worth your time. It's going to be really important for us to clarify what the work of God is, what it is, and, and uh, that'll help us to understand what our roles are. So to help us answer this question, we have to go way back, okay, way back, like 1,500 years back to the days of David. We're going to go way back to the days of David in the Old Testament, specifically 
in a book called First Chronicles. And, and in First Chronicles, we see in chapters 23, 24, and 25, when you read those chapters, you're going to read all about the duties of the priests, the Levites, and the musicians that were responsible to do the work of God or do the work of ministry in the Old Testament, the work of God in this day. And so when you read those chapters, you'll find that they took care of the temple. So the, the Levite's job, the priest's job, the musicians, like they were at the temple and people came to the temple to worship God. And so their focus was on the temple. They took care of uh, not only the temple, but the courtyards. They helped perform the ceremonies of purification, which was basically the sacrificing of animals for the forgiveness of people's sins. The priests were in charge of the sacred bread that was set out on the table and the choice flour and the grain offerings. They assisted with burnt offerings that were presented to the Lord on the Sabbath days. Um, they, they made sure that people stayed focused and, and remembered the new moon celebrations and all the appointed festivals that they were supposed to remember and celebrate in the Old Testament. And the last verse in First Chronicles chapter 23 says, And so under the supervision of the priests, the Levites watched over the tabernacle and the temple, and they faithfully carried out their duties of service at the house of the Lord. And as you read the, the next few chapters that follow, you'll read all about the responsibilities of the priests and the musicians and, and all the care that went into taking care of the temple. And you would also read about the very interesting ways that they uh, would hand out job descriptions. If you read those chapters, it's kind of fascinating to me. There was, uh, it, it talks about there was, there's a role that uh, someone needs to fill, and there was multiple people that had the capabilities of fulfilling that role. Um, but they only needed one person to do it. So what they did was they would draw straws or they would roll dice or like the scripture says, they would cast lots. It's a very interesting way for job placement, all right? So those of you that run business, maybe, you know, draw straws for your next job position that might, might help you out there. Um, very interesting. But the reason I tell you all of this is to help us answer the question, what is the work of ministry? What is the work of God that you are supposed to be equipped, prepared to do. So in the Old Testament, the work of God or the work of ministry was all about the temple. It was a temple-focused. That was the work of God. That was the work of ministry. It was focused on the building, the rituals, the sacrifices, all the tasks. You could say it this way. 1,500 years ago, the work of ministry was temple-focused. That was the work of God. So is that what we're supposed to be equipping you to do? Because honestly, like we could use some help mowing the lawn and fixing the roof, you know? Like is that what I'm supposed to be training you to do is to, to help the temple, the building? Is that what we're supposed to be equipping you for? Should we be more focused on the rituals, the Sabbath days, and all the festivals? Is that what we're supposed to equip the people of God to do? Is this what Paul meant when he said, equip the saints for the work of ministry or the work of God? And if the answer is no, then what changed? And, and why did it change? Why, why, why the shift? What happened? Luke recorded what um, Jesus said. And, and, and the reason I bring up Jesus is because Jesus changed 
everything. All right, the reason why it's different today than it was in the Old Testament is because of Jesus. Jesus came onto the scene and Jesus changed everything. Luke, once again, he records what Jesus said at the Last Supper, okay? So we were looking at David in, in First Chronicles, and now we're going to fast forward to a little bit more of a recent time. But it's when Jesus was having a Last Supper with his disciples before he was going to go to the cross, and he was going to shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And it was a time that he broke bread with his disciples one final time before his death. And Luke says this in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. It says, he, Jesus, took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20. After supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant. Or you could say a new agreement. Something new is happening here. Something new is happening at this Last Supper. Jesus is communicating something brand new. This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. There's a new covenant. There's a new agreement between God and his people. What's happening here? What, What is this talking about? You see, Jesus, when he came onto the scene, Jesus changed everything. The old covenant or the old agreement between God and his people was temple focused. It was all about the temple. It was about the rituals. It was about keeping the rules. It was about doing all the right things. It was very task oriented. But all of a sudden now there's a new agreement. There's a new covenant between God and his people. And when Jesus gave his life on the cross, when he shed his blood, and when he rose again from the grave, everything changed. Everything did. So what does that mean? Like what changed? What does that mean for you and I? Let's look at what it means, all right? I'm going to give you a, a few examples. So now we're, we're going to move forward a little bit more through the scriptures. So we looked at First Chronicles. We looked at David. And uh, it was temple-focused. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he talks about this new agreement between God and his people. Now, Jesus has died. He's, he's, a, he's risen again. He's ascended back up into heaven. And now Paul comes on the scene, and he's preaching and teaching to people and telling people about the good news of Jesus. And listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? Like you are the temple now. This is different. This is, this is, this is something new. And that the Spirit of God lives in you, verse 17 God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. God is people-focused. For God's temple is holy. And just to be very clear, he says, and you are that temple. You are the temple of God now. Peter, another disciple of Jesus, he put it this way. He said, you are. Okay, everyone say, I am. Okay, a little bit more energy. There you go. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple 
What's more, you are his holy priests. Remember, we've been talking about every partner, a guide. Let's look at one more example from Paul's writings. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the last part of verse 16. says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. We are the temple of God. Because of Jesus, the work of ministry is no longer temple focused. Now the work of ministry is people focused. That's what the work of God is. That's what the work of ministry is. We, you and I, are the temples of the Holy Spirit of God. And now the work of ministry is people-focused. It's no longer about the rituals. It's no longer about the sacred bread, the ceremonies of purification, the burnt offerings on the Sabbath, the, the new moon celebrations, or the appointed festivals. Because of Jesus, everything changed. And because of Jesus, the work of God is no longer temple-focused. Now the work of God is people-focused. It's people. People are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. So now, when you love people, when, when you serve people, when you go out of your way to meet people's needs, when you're kind and generous to people, when you build people up instead of tearing them down, when you point people to Jesus, you are doing the work of God. You are doing the work of ministry. That's what it is. That's what it's all about. And to help us better understand this, because I, I think this is so important for us as a church and for us as individuals to really like sink our teeth into, to really understand not just in our head, but in our heart. I want to share a story with you from Mark's writings in the Gospel of Mark. It's going to help us understand this a little bit further. Let me share this story with you. We, we find this story in Mark chapter 2. And, and what happened in Mark chapter 1 is, is Jesus had been traveling around, really, all over the area. And he was ministering to people because he's people-focused. And he was healing people and meeting people's needs and just doing all kinds of ministry. And he decided to come back home to get some rest. But that's not really what happened. So we'll pick up the story in Mark chapter 2. Okay, the verses are going to be on the screen. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. You know how news travels, right? It travels fast. All right, so Jesus is doing some amazing things. People are like, man, did you hear what Jesus did? Did you hear what Jesus did? Jesus is back home. Let's go to his house. Verse 2, soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. So the house where Jesus is at is just full of people. People are looking in the windows. I mean, even outside the house, people are just uh, everywhere. And while he was preaching God's word to them, I think Jesus is like, this is a great opportunity, right? Here, there's a bunch of people. I'm going to preach God's word. Verse 3 says, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, remember, the work of God is people-focused. Verse 4, 
They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Like, this is great evidence right here that it's no longer temple-focused because they're actually tearing up the building. Like, what a great uh, picture. This is a great image for us to understand. It's, it's no longer about the buildings. It's about the people. As a matter of fact, just like a week and a half ago, I was thinking about this. And, uh, you know, when we had, it might have been two weeks ago, when we had some great uh, rainstorms blow through the area, which we need much more of, by the way. But we had some great rain blow through. And right here, actually, right above my head, kind of to the left of me, you're right, um, we had a little bit of a leak in the roof. And so there was, like, big water stains right there. But it made me think, like, what if, you know, while I was up here teaching, all of a sudden, you know, the roof kind of fell through. And it's like, oh, my gosh, the rain got us. But then we see a man with some ropes and a mat. You know, he gets lowered down right here beside me. Like, I have to be honest with you. I don't know what I would do. I'd be like, what is happening here, you know? But that's what happened while Jesus is teaching. These men tear up the roof, and they lower their friend right to the feet of Jesus. Verse 5. Seeing their faith, I don't, I don't, they're just, you got to read this for yourself because there's so many cool things to take from it. But I know for me, I would be like, oh my gosh, now we got to fix the roof, you know? Like I would have been temple focused. Jesus was like, the faith of these men is incredible. They're tearing up the roof to get their friend to me. Like his focus was people. And so verse 5 says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. I love this. Jesus has never met this man that's paralyzed, you know, sitting right in front of him. And he, he offers a term of endearment, my child. Immediately, he loves this man. He's people focused and he forgives his sins. Verse 6, but some of the teachers of Religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Now, the way my mind works, I'm like, if, if we were watching this story on a big screen, you know, <clears throat> the, the video cameras would now pan to a couple people in the audience. And the, the narrator, you know, you'd be able to understand what they're thinking. But these people begin to criticize Jesus because he forgave this man's sins. And immediately they're like, only God can forgive sins. Once again, they're, they're focused on Jesus keeping all the rules. They're trying to do everything right. They, they weren't people focused, which is actually the work of God. They were so temple-focused that they could have cared less about this paralyzed man that was sitting next to Jesus. They didn't care about the man that had just been lowered through the roof. All they cared about is this Jesus, is he, is he saying everything right? Is he doing everything right? They wanted to make sure Jesus was following all the rules. Very temple-focused. Look at verse 8. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, and so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? 
So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Once again, he's people-focused. Verse 12, and the man jumped up and he grabbed his mat and he walked out through the stunned onlookers and they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we have never seen anything like this before. An incredible story. Now remember, we're answering the question, what is the work of ministry? Or what is the work of God that you're supposed to be equipped, that you're supposed to be prepared to do? Now the religious people in the story were temple-focused. Their focus was not on the man who needed healing. Their focus wasn't on the paralyzed man. Jesus, however, was people-focused. Not only did he heal the paralyzed man, but he did something that was even greater. He did something that was much more powerful in this man's life. Yes, he healed him physically, but he did something even greater. He forgave his sins. Like your soul is, is, is what Jesus is focused on even the most. And what a beautiful picture of, of the work of ministry. But I, I want us to focus in, I want to zoom in on some characters in this story. I think, obviously, we should zoom in on Jesus, and I, I think we could talk a lot about the paralyzed man, and we could even talk about the religious people that were in the crowd. But I want us to zoom in on four different characters. I want us to take a moment and look at the men that carried their friend to the feet of Jesus, because I believe that's a beautiful picture of what you and I are called to do. Like that is the work of ministry. That is the work of God. These four men did everything in their power to eliminate barriers. I mean, there was a house in their way. It was full of people. They decided, let's go up on top of the house. Let's tear apart the roof. Let's get our friend to Jesus. Like talk about being intentional. Talk about doing everything they could to help their friend. Yeah, a beautiful picture of what you and I are called to do. That's our job. That's your job. And that's what we need to be equipped to do. That's what you should be prepared to do. When you walk out of church, you should be better prepared to minister to those around you, to be able to point them to Jesus, to be able to help them get to Jesus. And I know there's some of us sitting here this morning, you're like, okay, Justin, I get it, man. Like, you don't have to say it again. Like, the work of ministry is people-focused. I get it. I get it. But Justin, I, I'm still overwhelmed. I feel overwhelmed because there's 7 billion people or more on this planet. And Justin, I, I want to do the work of God. I, I want to do the work of ministry. But I don't even know where to begin. Like, I, I start thinking about all the people that I come in contact with, and it's so overwhelming to me. Like, I don't even know where to start. I want to remind you of the analogy that we've been using throughout this story. Remember this? Like, picture your life is taking place on a stage. Okay? You're living your life, and there's a theater that's full of people. Okay? There's a lot of people in this theater, and they're watching your life. They're listening to what you have to say. There's people that are up in the, in the balcony. There's people in the mezzanine. And they can definitely hear what you say. They can watch what you do. 
But it's those people who are sitting on the front row who have the best seats in the house. Like they really care about you. They really are watching. They're listening. Those people have the best seats in the house to your life. The ancient Greeks called that group of people that are sitting on your front row your oikos. Okay, not the yogurt, all right? This is a Greek word, the oikos. It means extended household. This would be, you know, people that you're friends with, like your close friendships, your neighbors, maybe work relationships. It would be maybe some relationships at school, your relatives, Maybe your immediate family is where you start. Another way that we've described it throughout this series is we've called it your circle of influence or we've encouraged you to write down 8 to 15, your 8 to 15 people that you have influence with, that you engage with on a regular basis. We could even call it your personal mission. You see, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to bring focus. Instead of focusing on the you know, 7 billion plus people on the planet, that is, that is overwhelming. I'm trying to help you to focus. Like, who are those people that sit on your front row? I think you could start with your children. You could start with your spouse. You could start with people that you're close with. And if each and every one of us had that mentality, I'm going to focus on my front row and I'm going to be intentional about ministering to them. I'm going to be like those four men with the paralyzed man, and I'm going to do everything I can to get them to Jesus. Like, imagine the ripple effect. Imagine if, if you had that, you know, the, the, the classmate that you go to school with, and you had that focus and that intentionality. So let's answer the question, what is the work of ministry? The work of ministry or the work of God is intentionally serving those who are on your front row. Listen, the last thing that I want to do is to give you more busy work, is to give you more to-do lists. Like, we are all busy people. We all got a lot of stuff going on in our lives. You don't need more to-do lists. What I want you to do is focus on your front row and minister to them. It's, it's specifically praying for them, which means you need to know what to pray for. You need to get to know them and, and what, what they need prayer for. It's doing your best to meet any needs that they may have. It's it's celebrating victories that they have in their life. It's, it's building good friendships with them. It's earning the right to share Jesus with them. And listen, this is, it's so freeing. And it brings so much focus and so much purpose to your life. It helps you to, to not be overwhelmed. And it brings some intentionality to your life. Let, let, let's say, for example, there was a couple that sat on your front row and you're trying to, to build a bridge, you're trying to build relationship with them, and you're trying to get them to Jesus, and, and you're trying to reach out to them with the love of Christ. And let's say one of them got a job promotion. Okay, what do you do? What do you do if one of them gets a, a job promotion? You throw a party, right? You celebrate with them. You have a ton of fun. You say, good job, man. That's, that's fantastic. You, you build a friendship. Let's say that that couple had some kids and one of their kids is just excelling in sports and let's say they won the, the, the league championship. What do you do? You throw a party, all right? And you celebrate with them and you go, my gosh, that is so awesome that your kid won and woo, man, I loved watching, watching him or her play. And then let's just say that 
they celebrated their anniversary. What do you do? You throw a party, all right? If you haven't noticed, I'm trying to get you all to throw a bunch of parties. My gosh, let's have some fun with this, all right? Let's throw some parties. See, the work of ministry is serving people on your front row with the gospel focus. Yeah, you're like, man, I I love you so much, and I know that this life is not all that there is. There is a life to come. Eternity does matter. And I love you enough. I want to build a bridge. I want to build a friendship because I want you to meet Jesus. I'm trying to point you to Jesus. It's serving. It's being able to guide people to Jesus. The work of ministry is not temple-focused where you feel overwhelmed, burdened. It's all a bunch of tasks. The work of ministry is people-focused. You love people to Jesus Christ. And remember, we've been saying throughout this series, if you try to reach everyone, you'll end up reaching no one. If you focus your ministry on your oikos, you'll be much more fruitful. You'll be much, the impact will be so much greater. Listen, there are so many good things that you can do, but the reality is, is you can't do everything. So stay focused. And be intentional at loving people well and pointing them to Jesus and building bridges and and, and building friendships. So I want to encourage you in closing, prioritize your front row. Like prioritize them. And then watch God do incredible things through your prayers, through your efforts of reaching out. And let's be intentional. If each and every one of us had that mindset, like imagine the ripple effect. And we can start right here, right now, ministering to our 8 to 15. And I pray that you'll do so. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the example, Jesus, that you set. You were people-focused. It wasn't about the rituals. It wasn't about trying to impress people with how religious we are. It was simply serving and loving people well. And Lord, for those that may feel overwhelmed, because this world is full of people, I pray that you would help us to to bring a focus to our front row. And for some of us, it, it may need to be as simple as just starting with our children, starting with our spouse, and just serving them and loving them well. And then, like the Oikos teaches, it's, it's expanding out from there. And maybe it's a work friend, um, you know, a classmate, someone you play sports with, maybe someone on the local softball team, someone you go to the lake with. Lord, I I pray that we would be intentional at loving people well. And when people think of Grace Church, they would think of Jesus because that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to point people to Jesus. I pray that people would be served well and loved well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.